1: The recent heavy rains have flooded fields across the Midwest. Because of the wet ground, farmers have struggled to plant their crops on time. It's unclear how much land is left unplanted now. Some farmers estimate around half of their land will not yield crop this fall. Some have opted to not attempt planting and claim crop insurance instead. Others are taking their chances and putting their trust in Mother Nature. We're talking about how farmers have been affected by heavy rains on Noon Edition today. I'm Joe Ren, filling in for Bob Salzberg and Brock Turner. My colleague, rural affairs reporter at the WFIU-WTIU Newsroom, is filling in for Sarah Whitmire. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Joe. Everyone on vacation. I hope everyone had a happy 4th of July. And we have some guests here, too, to help talk about the subject. Scott McDonald is the Indiana Farm Bureau Insurance Agent. Matt Crow is a Green County farmer in today. Also, we have Whitney Schlegel, the Marble Hill Farm vendor at the Bloomington Farmers Market. And Sal Sama, Premier Ag Co-op, Inc., Vice President of Sales and Marketing. Thank you all for being here today. And I hope you too had a happy fourth. Did everyone have a good, good time yesterday? Great time. <laughs> the the rain that's held out, time. busy this time of year, and uh that's kind of what we're talking about here. The the weather uh so far has kind of maybe a little bit lightened up. But I wanted to start with uh Matt, our Green County farmer. Can you tell us a little bit about just kind of set us up about uh, what you do, maybe how much you farm, how long you farm. Just tell us about your your farm.
2: Okay. Well, uh, my farm's a family farm. Uh, we have about 2,600 acres. Uh, we farm corn, soybeans, wheat, cattle, occasionally do a little milo, uh grain sorghum. Okay. Um, <clears throat> it consists of my dad and my uncle, my mother and my grandparents, and my cousin. And, uh, It's been a tough year.
1: I was going to say, tell us (laughs) a a little bit about the life of farming right now in uh, south-central Indiana.
3: Yeah, you probably weren't really able to enjoy the 4th, were you?
2: (laughs) Well, you know, it was too wet to run, so really I just drove around and cried for the most part. (laughs) You uh, uh, You know, it's kind of been this year you just work almost around the clock for just a day or so. And then you just sit and watch it rain for another couple of weeks, mm-hmm. you know.
1: Um, where are you kind of – can you give us maybe a percentage-wise in terms of your fields of kind of where where you're at right now?
2: Well, percentage might be tough. Mm-hmm. We, we planted all of our corn acres, our intended corn acres. Uh, we didn't actually plant it uh, quite to plan. I mean, we kind of just – if it was dry enough, we planted it. Um, but we put them in the ground. Uh, the river took about 30% of them there shortly after. Soybeans, we planted, uh, we'll have about 1,000 acres of soybeans. We planted 600 acres of them there a couple weeks ago, just before that yeah. six inch rain. And not a single one of those fields actually grew. So mm-hmm. we replanted about three quarters of those earlier this week. And then uh, dad's at home and one of our hired hands. and they're trying to roll the plant around in mud again today. So
3: And I think day. it's one of those things, you know, late planting doesn't only impact, you know, doesn't just push back the timeline. It also really impacts your yields, correct?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it's always questionable to start talking about what yields will be this early without having any ears to look at or any pause to look at in the soybeans. But I can tell you, there's a lot of fields that I've got that I'm just looking out over and saying, you know, if that field makes 50, I'm just going to be tickled. You know, and these are fields that made 255 last year. You
3: know, and, what, it, and maybe this is a question for Scott. I mean, you know, is this something that you've seen across the state? I mean, is this something that you've you've really, you know, a lot of farmers are dealing with with the same struggle that, that Matt is?
4: It is It is the same challenge across the state. Uh, you had two different situations, one that where they have the severe flooding. Uh, which presented a different challenge in itself. And then secondly, where we had this continued precipitation that's really given locally here just two windows to plant in. Both of those situations, they had to run as much as they could in those two or three days each time to get completed. It's been very challenging.
3: And then, you know, once the crop's gotten in the ground, there's been flooding and and issues from there, right?
4: That is correct. So what, as Matt alluded to, is you a situation where folks who – Planted timely the first time, then received additional rain, and now those farms have silt on them or debris in the field, and that's changed that dynamic as to you know can I get back in that field? Can I plant it timely? Do I still want to plant that field?
3: So you know from the um, fr- from from the producer end, um, you know looking at you know you know Sal look, looking at you know how do how how has that impacted you of trying to get farmers, different seed varieties, and, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into that, right? Yeah, it's uh, – uh, Premier Ag is in
5: uh, southeast Indiana, about 26 counties in agronomy, and about 29 or 39 counties in energy. So across that whole trade territory, back to what Matt was saying, you know, it's a lot of river bottoms, white river bottom, Muscatatook river bottoms. And it starts with even the, the planting in, uh not optimal conditions, and you mentioned the beans you planted, Matt, that uh, didn't emerge – and how often do you have problems with beans emerging? Oh, the, we, the seed treatments that we use now are, yeah. s, are so good for diseases. They're soil-borne diseases, Phytophthora and Pythium. And so the seed treatment, treatments we use now are so good, and the emergence is, is uh, so even, which is the beginning of a good good yield and a good crop. And with eight inches of rain, mm-hmm. after planting, I mean, everything just it's, – it's out the window. And so the, it starts – uh, it sounds fundamental and it is the planting good emergence is the beginning of your good yields and uh, I looked at a field day before yesterday and they have open seed furrows and, and for your listeners and I asked the question Joe about how, what kind of audience right. is listening the crop uh, when you're planting when you go through the field the seed furrows you need to seed to soil contact for good emergence and when you plant in really wet conditions like we're doing it sets it up it's a year-long struggle just like matt said that if if you don't get that to get sidewalk compaction where you're trying to plant the seed you know if you take a spade in your garden and you try to plant when it's too wet you get you can understand you have hard soil around where you had the spade same thing with a planter but on a bigger scale and so across the whole geography we're dealing with flooding of
3: just total wipeout of the acres and then we're dealing with what we have so then when you actually you know when, when you have to delay planting or you have to replant again, you know obviously that's impacting yields. But you know a, a lot of farmers have told me, yeah, we have to switch seed varieties. We have to we have to do different things because. So so can you just kind of talk a little bit about that and and you know it's not just you plant the same seed in that same ground, right? Yeah, exactly. So now, so ideally, you know, we'd have been out there in April and had had
5: the crops planted, and now we need a shorter season. And my wife even asked this question. She's hmm. like, well, why don't they just go out and just just replant the corn. I was like, well, you only have so much summer left. And if you're in the northern Corn Belt, you got out of the corn game pretty quick because you just don't have enough summertime left. And then we deal with uh, heat and pollination issues and the, the crops just don't yield as much. So then you talk about the supply chain mentioning you know, the types of seed and then it becomes a, a real exchange problem. Of, of So you got plenty of seed, it's just all in the wrong place. And then trying to find out which varieties and which 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 uh, hybrids will work in a shorter season, in a shorter later mm-hmm. season? Then I used to hear uh, knee high by the fourth of <laughs> July for corn. Is
1: is that right? Or Matt's got a picture. I wish <laughs> you could put that on your website. Of- they're they're not knee high, are they? No, no, no.
2: I I got a field right now. It's not even you know ankle high. So you mm-hmm. know, and it's been planted since the fifth of June. So the the growth rate is just so slow right now.
3: And you know, I know that a lot of farmers they say it should actually be higher than knee high. Yeah. I mean, oh, now it's oh, yeah. um, you know the, the kind of that old adage is, I, I think you take knee high right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know what year that knee high was came up with, but I always question whether it was knee high for it to make anything at all.
1: Right. You know. <laughs> right. Right. I, I don't
2: know. We're we're usually looking for you know head high or taller by Fourth of July.
1: I, I want Since we're kind of getting in this conversation, if I want to give people a chance to call in or, or tweet us. We're talking about how farmers have been affected by the recent heavy rains. You can join the discussion by tweeting at Noon Edition. You can give us a call at 1-877-285-9348. That's 877 285 9348. I wanted to bring Whitney in and talk a little bit about, because I think it's also interesting we have a different perspective about uh, community farmers markets too, because all those are homegrown per se as well. Can you give us a little bit of a background on how this is affecting farmers markets right now?
6: Sure. Uh, uh, We've been vending at the Bloomington Community Farmers (coughs) Market for 20 years now. And uh, this year, in talking with all the, the vendors, just like all the farmers, this has been the wettest year. Been the and the crops. Uh, for example, I, have a, I share a couple of stories from some vendors. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan McCullough from McCullough's Farm has been growing sweet corn since 1988, and his uh, production what he brought last week was 15 percent of what it was last year. Wow! So, and <sighs> if you're familiar with the Bloomington Community Market. Um, you'll see a line for uh, Dan's corn that wraps around the market very early. Everybody's in line. And so it's it's been a real uh, tough year for him. And then also um, uh, Dale Marchino, who uh, raises melons, said that he got his crop in, but uh, chances are that, and they're growing, There's with all the rain, that they'll rot in the field. So not only did you, he have a challenge getting it in, but also he's looking at what 's going to happen to that crop, and so it 's impacting our our small farms relative to our you know some of the bigger farms i mean they're raising a lot of corn and a lot of melon, but uh, they uh, are seeing uh, problems as well and and so our our customers. Are uh, we, we're hoping we're, we're educating them a little bit on, on and they, ex- in their own way, have also experienced in their own home gardens and things like that. But mm-hmm. that they understand that they're small farmers and our farmers markets really need their support right now because uh, these, uh, you know, our farmers are having a tough go.
1: And I'm not sure as far as how far people come to produce their, or, or, or to be a vendor at the farmers market. Are they coming from all over the state?
6: Uh, They primarily come from southwest central uh, Indiana. So uh, um, Dan's from Davies County. And uh, so they... Uh, but they they we draw quite a number of, uh, of vendors from uh, around the state. So.
1: It says here your Center for Rural Engagement, Sustaining Hoosier Communities, faculty partner. Can you describe what that means for or sure. what that is?
6: Yeah, um. I'm uh, I'm also affiliated here at IU. I'm in the biology department and I work with the Center for Rural Engagement, which is a, uh, a center that was established by, um, by the provost to uh, to help uh, Southwest Central. Um, counties, uh, um, eleven county region uh, here, and connecting uh, faculty and student resources from Indiana University in partnership with these counties to uh, um, address county uh, county needs.
3: And I think this is you know you know kind of pivoting off of that off of that point where you know what we're talking about now really impacts the full community um, and and has really ripple effects throughout the throughout these small rural communities. I mean, Scott, can you just talk about that? And, um, you know, obviously this is a situation that, that impacts more than just farmers. It impacts the local community as well, yeah?
4: Those uh, dollars from the economic standpoint, you know, they're multiplied throughout the community from the farmers buying inputs or spending money in those communities. Certainly with the question is what they're going to have in a crop, you're not seeing them they're being very cautious about what they're purchasing or even planning on purchasing at this point the rural communities really feel when the farmers are being hurt by weather
3: so are you an agent that you know actually kind of goes out with farmers and and kind of surveys the damage or do you see it from from another angle
4: we see it two ways one from the property coverage where we go out with the farmers but the on the crop insurance side that's handled on the adjusting side we get receive a lot of phone calls from farmers as to what the benefits are, what are my options. They're trying to develop strategies to make it through this summer in the most effective way they can.
3: Yeah, and Matt, crop insurance, you know, for the person who, who's not in insurance, you know, and, and in that field every day, um, you know, crop insurance doesn't work like normal Homeowners insurance or car insurance would you, right? You you pay for a, a set amount of coverage. You're not getting full replacement. You're not getting 100% coverage on on a crop or a field that you don't plant. Correct?
2: Right. Uh, crop insurance runs off of what they call an APH, which is a 10-year average. It turns into a five-year average because there's you know we rotate crops, right? And then uh, you can buy crop insurance. I believe it's from 60 to 85 percent. You could
4: actually go from fifty to eighty-five. Fifty to the regular, what to consider the most coverage is probably purchasing that seventy to eighty-five percent level. Mm -hmm. So most
3: people are purchasing about seventy-five to eighty percent coverage.
4: I would say um, you'll find that in northern Indiana, Indiana it seems to be going towards more of the higher levels. Mm. Here in this part of Indiana, seventy percent seems to be more common. And
3: comparing this year to previous years, would you say more? You've gotten more calls about folks, you know, trying to to get to to claim crop insurance losses. Is is it more common this year than in previous years?
4: We are seeing more questions on it. There was a study last week that was reported on that they estimate that thirty two percent of Indiana farmers will report some form of preventive planting. We won't really know. The impact of this until probably two weeks from now. There's a July 15th date that they need to report to the Farm Service Agency those acres. Hmm. At that point, we're going to have a better handle on what we really
3: have yeah. in acres out there.
1: What, what was that? There was a June 15th date, wasn't there? For was that what was that about?
3: Yeah. So every crop, and and Matt can probably also explain this as well. Every crop and every different variety has a different deadline for for when. You know, you can. When, so some when you deadlines are passed already. Sure. Right.
2: Yeah, right.
3: And what, what, what are those?
2: Well, at a certain point, you can't plant. You know, insured crops. The insurance says it's too late. Odds are, it's not going to make anything, right? And so for corn, that was uh, June, 20th. June twentieth, and then for soybeans, it's coming up here shortly, right?
4: Yeah. So what you what you have on those dates? Um, for the, what they consider to be the end of late planting for corn is June 25. Soybeans, the end of that late planting is July 15. But that's at a reduced value, mm-hmm. whereas the 100 percent value for corn is June 5 and 100 percent value for soybeans is June 20. And that varies among states.
3: Yeah, and it also varies amongst varieties as well, among varieties as well, because I know I was talking to one farmer um, a popcorn farmer in Southern Indiana, and he was saying, "Hey, my distributor once once it in the ground by I think it was you know the the very beginning of June, and it was before even that deadline. So, and I think he was he said he was just not leaving 900 acres just empty. Um, Matt, do you have any acres that you're considering leaving empty at this point, oh, or yeah. are got, empty?
2: We've got a few that's already taken prevent plan on on corn." Um, you have to be see, ha- seeing how many bean acres we'll take prevent plan on, but the date is is looming close here, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, going back to what you were talking about with the crop insurance, I guess you were talking about there's been a lot of questions, and I think the listeners can tell now that it's quite a complicated deal, and it's all these questions are coming because we're all sitting here saying, where can I do as well as I can on this 30 acres? But you know that's just thirty acres, so we have lots of other acres. So next thing you know, you got a whole bunch of questions,
3: you know. And Sal, I mean, I guess you can probably talk a little bit about you know the the different varieties of of seed. I mean, what options do farmers have if they're if they're talking if 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 we're if we're pushing this planting season back later in the year? Well, we still need you know feed, fuel, and and fiber,
5: and so you know we can the. Um, Obviously, we need we need food for the for the animals. So the options become, what kind of uh, a forage crop or what kind of hay crop can you put out there with the time frame that you have left? Well, when you've got ten million acres of corn that didn't get planted, it's pretty much a rush to a pretty small pile of of seed availability. So you only have certain options, and then you've got the forage crops that just it's just like if you're going to reseed your lawn for your listeners. You wouldn't do that in July, and so you have forage crops that's just not going to do very well, late planted in summer. And so, and in, in those that would, they're very limited seed supply because they simply just don't plant those hybrids or those that varieties and those types of seed forages that you can you can grow in late summer. So, you think availability for for those varieties are going to be difficult? Very limited, and we're even um, something as common as as uh, you know rye grass or. Or anything else, uh, cover crop seeds can be very limited supply. We're already buying, you know, seed stock out of
3: Texas and hmm. and moving that around by the truckloads. And and that's and, and that's supply. Not only is the supply limited, but it's also probably hard to to get that distributed out to farmers. And and that's really important for for the actual chemistry of the field, right? I mean, you need something on that ground that way weeds just don't overtake it, right?
5: That's another dynamic. And what we're doing uh, actually prior to to the fourth of July and now after is is what are we doing for uh, noxious weed control on those acres and do the farmers do they go ahead and till it well, we've got we got fields that are 30 years continuous no till and that's not really a good option if they've been uh, minimal till or no till for a lot of time they don't want to do that so what what herbicides can you go out and control the noxious weeds with and then you want to come back and seed some some sort of cover crop for you know nutrient scavenging or for hay or forage
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whitney do does any of these issues that we're talking about I know these are you know bigger farmers, but do they relate in any way to more of the smaller farmers too and the community uh, farmers' market
3: and farmers? I have a feeling that also okay. you know feed wise you know the 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 cost of that's going to increase just for for animals right
6: yeah absolutely and uh and cover cropping is uh is going to be an issue for everybody and uh and it's essential to decrease erosion no matter how big. Uh, your fields are, and in uh, finding that cover crop seed is a problem. And we have there's lots of uh, we had a lot of mud this year, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
6: and uh, and so if you, uh, you know, don't do something about that, uh, it's just going to get worse, and it's going to cause a lot of erosion. And then it becomes not only a this year problem; <clears> it becomes a year, you know, down the line, five, ten year down the line. So it takes a lot of time to. Uh, repair that and to prevent that type of work uh, erosion and, and damage from occurring the uh, we we're looking at uh, we have a diversified livestock farm and uh, <coughs> we've been fortunate enough uh, that uh, we've done a, a lot of conservation work in the last uh, five to ten years. It's really paying off right now, but we had to keep our livestock off our fields uh, our, for foraging just to because they were so saturated. You put them out there, and uh, and things weren't grow. They don't grow as fast when they're wet in the spring. It's the soil temperatures about between one and four degrees Fahrenheit lower, so it takes a little longer for the forage to grow. And then uh, we you put your livestock out there, and you put cattle out there. They're eleven hundred pound animal, and they'll tear that up pretty quick. Mm -hmm. So we had to keep everything off, which means that you're keeping them in a muddy area, and you're feeding them feeding them hay and uh, where you've got all this your know, all these fields that you'd like to be using and now we're putting them out there and uh, we're going to uh, and things are slowing down in terms of growth and we're looking at uh um putting in uh, interseeding with sorghum sudan type of grasses that'll grow in in really hot temperature that can serve as for a good forage as and good cover uh, so you're you really having to kind of be creative in trying to think outside the box a lot. And then availability of seed is going to be a big issue.
5: Yeah, uh, Whitney, she brings up an excellent point, and this is something that with the soil compaction just from the machinery, when we're in there when we shouldn't be out of necessity either to get hay off or to, to plant the crop or any type of field work that we do in crop where there's nitrogen application, just the soil compaction, that can show up for years. So this will, this will have a long tail. Uh, we have to take a break in just a second, but I,
1: I did want to ask you really quick about you said you had to do some conservation work. What, what kind of work was that?
6: Uh, so in terms of conservation, we've done pasture renovation. Uh, we've looked at, uh, um, and that means uh, planting different types of uh, legumes and different types of forages that are going to be both nutritious for your livestock as well as good for your soil health. And so that's the same thing that's happening in our fields. Uh, people, when they do cover cropping, we're really addressing soil health, and we're trying to minimize compaction, and we're trying to maximize the, uh, the microbial community of, of the soil that benefits the plants.
1: All right. Uh, today on Noon Edition, we're discussing uh, uh, how agriculture has been affected by heavy rains. Let us know your questions or comments by calling Toll-free, 285 9348 You can also participate in the conversation by tweeting at Noon Edition. We'll take a break and be right back.
0: From the Milton Met studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. WFIU News covers south-central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIUNews. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live, and you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe now at WFIUNews.org.
1: You're listening to Noon Edition on WFIU. Thanks for joining us. This week we're talking about how farmers have been affected by the recent heavy rains. You can join us tweeting at Noon Edition. Give us a call at toll-free 877 285 Nine, three, four, eight. We have Scott McDonald here, an Indiana Farm Bureau insurance agent. Uh, Matt Crow, a Green County farmer, is with us today. Whitney Schlegel, a Marble Hill farm vendor at the Bloomington Farmers Market. And Sal Sama, a Premier Ag Co-op, Inc.,
3: Vice President of Sales and Marketing. We appreciate you guys being here today. Yeah, thank you all so much. Um, so I know we were talking just before the break kind of about soil health and, and how – you know, not planting a crop or planting a different crop. You know, all of that impacts the the chemistry that's going on in the soil. So, Matt, I guess you know if, if you could just kind of talk about why that's so important to farmers um, and, and and yields. And, and we were talking about you know I know Sal mentioned before the break that you know this is going to have a lot of a lot of long term effects on your soil. So, Matt, how are you trying to minimize that on a field that maybe you couldn't plant?
2: Right. Well, <clears throat> everything with you know, with agriculture is, starts with the soil, right? So we have to try to make sure that it's in the best shape possible. And that goes from, you know, minerals, fertility, right, all the way down to microbes. And when we use the term soil health, we're typically talking about microbes. We also talk about some structure type things like compaction, like Sal talked about, and some other things like that. But, you know we're learning so much more about it year after year we're learning to reduce tillage um you know i mean i know when i was young i can remember And obviously there's a lot of people who can remember more than this but i you know i can remember dad used to chisel plow of the ground you know and then disc it and then we disc it again in the spring and finishing till it you know and this year with our corn our beans and we no-till and our corn we uh, use a phoenix harl you know uh and so that's changed a lot and we're doing that all to help preserve the microbes and reduce erosion and all that stuff so you know as far as what we're going to do this year you know i don't know (laughs) you know planting cover crops that's a great idea that's what should be done but we've struggled since april 5th to plant the first crop i don't know that i'm looking forward to struggling another three months Mm -hmm. to plant a cover crop sure you know right (laughs) So, uh, you know, I ideally we ought to spray it down, plant cover crops, stay off of it when it's wet. But this year, I, I don't know what we're going to do. And
3: I know weather does, you know, at least the longer-term forecast that I've seen, it does seem like the weather might be getting a little bit drier, a little bit more humid, which, you know, might help be able to get some cover crops on that ground. Um, and, and one thing the cover crops would help for is, is is potential runoffs and that type of thing. Whitney, I was hoping you could maybe talk about, this is a question that comes in from Twitter, Um, you know, or or should we worry about the dangers of pesticide runoff on flooded fields?
6: Oh, that's a great question. Uh, Yep, our watersheds are going to be susceptible uh, (coughs) when we've got, you know, the kinds of rains that we've had. Uh, But as Matt's talked about, I mean, the I don't I don't even know what the what's going on in those fields right now to be yeah. able to run off, to be honest. The right. Uh, right. uh barely got the seed in. So uh, you uh, could
2: you could make an argument there'd be less runoff <laughs> this year because so many fields are unplanted. And a a lot of them that are unplanted are not sprayed either. So, I mean, it's noxious weeds like Sal was talking about, but they kind of got a cover crop on them already, you know.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Not the one you want. Not the one you want, though. (laughs) You know, know, uh, with the pesticide runoff, um, and and no one – we think pesticides, and that's just a – it's a bad word. But, um, you know, we have so many setbacks, and you're on the board – of uh, Monroe.
6: Monroe County Soil yes, and ma'am. Water Conservation District, and yeah. so
5: so we have so many setbacks around um, applications of different pesticides, and we're very we at Premier Ag we do like three 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 quarters of a million a uh, yeah, about seven hundred fifty thousand acres of custom application, and so the setbacks and things that we try to do and do, you know, from all the uh, where there can be any point source contamination, really minimizes off target either through soil movement or through drift. And so that's something we're very conscious of, and farmers are too, of uh, how far we set
3: back. And we have buffer strips and waterways to to minimize all that off-target movement. And it's one of those things I know know from from the individual farmer perspective, you really don't want pesticide, herbicide running off into another field because that's going to really impact – whatever crop, you know, if you have soybeans on one field and corn on the next, the last thing you want is, you know, the the chemicals intermixing and, and it's, it's going to really hurt yields, right?
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. You, I mean, you paid for the chemical, so you have no desires to let it move off target, right? And then the crop next to it, obviously, has value as well. So if you damage 10 bushels of yield off the soybeans, uh, you know, with some kind of a chemical application well there's another 100 dollars an acre you know so you know it's it's very unwise uh, to to allow pesticides to move around
3: and scott i know um you know you were talking you know earlier just about you know this is not just a problem that's happening in southern indiana or or indiana alone you know, we're we're not in a bubble here um you know so i i guess i'm curious of, of you know, I was talking to one adjuster, and, and he said, you know, I've talked to farmers more in the last three years – in the last three months than I've talked to them in the last three years. Is that something that you can kind of echo and say, you know, you've been having a lot more conversations with farmers on the ground just about, you know, their, their operations given with this all of this wet weather?
4: We have had a lot more questions, I think, because they look to see what their options are. And you always have to remember that farmers always want a crop. They're growing, nurturing people. They always want a crop. And even though we've had this long stretch of precipitation, they still are optimistic that they can get that crop in the ground and work it. Uh, They, even today, they're still trying to look at the options financially and for the soil to get a crop out to make the best use of what they have. I want to come back to the soil and water, this pesticide runoff question. For the farmer, they're going to best protect that soil and water because that is their resource to protect. They have the most vested interest in that of anyone. So they're going to watch make sure they maintain those water buffer spaces off of those fields. They want to make sure that the right pesticides where it needs to be applied and not over on the neighboring fields.
3: Mm-hmm. hmm Most definitely. And I think um, you know, one thing that that I that I think we haven't touched on is, you know, the impact financially. On, on folks. I mean, I'm sure this is going to have a, a significant impact, not only on the, the individual farmers and producers, but, I mean, uh, you know, Sal, is this something that, that you've seen, you know, just in terms of, of impacting your bottom line as a business owner of you know, moving different varieties and trying to get different varieties? I'm sure that's had an impact on the bottom line. Yeah. Premier Ag a farmer-owned cooperative. So um, uh,
5: we have... Um uh, something about uh, roughly half of our sales is to farmers. I guess that's probably about 45%. And then the other 55% is commercial sales and, and uh, home heat and others. But so a company like Premier Ag um, has got a really strong balance sheet, and we can take a punch certainly for a year. Um, other businesses, and I don't want to minimize the effect even on a on a strong cooperative, but other businesses just from – if the farmer feels pain. We all feel it, and I think when he was talking, to, even on the farmers' market. Uh, so the dynamic is, is so long, and it's hard to it's hard to compress it into a short conversation. I'll give you a quick example. So we we buy um, uh, we've we've doubled our dry storage capacity of fertilizer in the last three years, and this this isn't a commercial. It's just trying to talk about the the supply chain, and so the the products the fertilizer comes in off the river on barges. If you're uh, further uh, inland terminals, it comes off rail. But that product, uh, it's it's unusual. You can't really store all the fertilizer that you've got to use for the entire year, and so you've got this chain that kind of gets backed up in a river in the river terminals, and in inland terminals. And then uh, so now we're in a different dynamic. If it doesn't get used, which it won't be, if we're fifteen percent reduced on uh, on acres, it, it won't be applied. And then we've got inventory. At the businesses that are, and generally speaking, that would have been gone, and now you can financially you can, you can uh, re- get new positions on new fertilizer, out as much as you mm-hmm. know eight to ten months ahead of time. Well, what will happen now with the volatility, if if it's not going to get used, so supply and demand. All right, they teach that here at Indiana University and Purdue University, right? Supply and demand. So if there's an overabundance <laughs> of supply, that inventory cost could could change considerably. So. As far as a business may have to adjust their inventory cost. And that's that's a tough thing to do, especially in a year
3: like this where there's nothing in the immediate in the short term coming in. Yeah, and I know, you know, supply and demand is something, you know, Matt that I know is is very much a part of of your world, the market changes daily um, in terms of, of the price of corn, soybeans, etc. cetera. You know, every crop is going to have a different price at, even within every – changes every hour. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of things that are out of your control that sort of play into that price and that market that you sell to. So, you know, and I know the price of soybeans, you know, they've fluctuated. Tariffs have really pushed them down um, the price of corn, you know, maybe has, has has been volatile as well. So for folks that maybe, you know, aren't in it every day, you know, can you just kind of explain how the, all of the different factors that, that this has on the market? And I know I had one farmer that said, hey, I really don't want to admit this, but for the farmers that are able to get a crop in the ground, you know, we had a lot of grain on the market. Now there's not going to be so much market, so we might actually get a little bit of a higher price. Right.
2: Well right? – you know, But maybe again, not the way you wanted to get a higher price. But <laughs> We we were talking there about all farmers have to be optimists, right? So if we're just looking at the price today, the price ain't very good, right? So if you're saying, hey, maybe we'll get a better price, maybe this will be all right year. later, I don't say I disagree with that statement, but you're definitely being an optimist that the price is going to go up, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't have any proof that it's going to do that. I'd bet a lot of money that it would myself, but you don't have any any confirmation of that, right? right. So, you know, uh, of course, grain, cattle, everything we're talking about here is a commodity market, right? So we're price takers, not price makers. That's something that people always miss. Uh, we don't get to tell um, the elevators, hey, this is this is what we want for our grain. This is, you know, we we want seven dollars for our grain because they you know it doesn't work that way they tell us the price that they're willing to give us for, for the grain so you know if the price is below our cost of production we lose money on every acre all across the board and of course yield comes into play with that right so last year we grew 194 bushel corn across the farm and we got an average price of 360 for it so, this year, the market currently has the corn price at what about four twenty yep right, and I'm looking at sub one forty across my farm i mean i I'd be surprised if we get there, okay, so it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that that's in the whole right so mm-hmm. and there's no way we can cover our cost of production, so that's kind of the challenge we get into in agriculture is that you can get into a situation that uh it does not matter what you do; you lose money. It doesn't matter, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was trying to use example for uh, for the
5: listeners that uh, for, for a farmer example, like how would you like to go into work where you get twenty dollars an hour, or fifteen dollars an hour, or wherever, and you work all day, and then you owe them a dollar,
2: right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was
5: trying to make it so you know, I was telling you know the guys that that I work with at Premier Ag I was like, but be empathetic and understand, you know. The frustration that's that's at the at the farm level because if I told you you owed me money after you worked all day, you know that's that's what they feel like trying to lock in a profit. which mm-hmm. you get, can, you can't, it's hard to do that if you don't know what your costs are going to be,
3: and you certainly don't know what your what your revenues are going to be. Yeah, and Scott, so, I know you had something here.
5: So
4: one thing regarding the price is that that's the thing that we focus on. when We see it daily, are in the news about the price changing, keeping in mind that. Many times on these farms they priced that crop out a year out or further. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't impact it today. But mostly where they're seeing that impact is many of these farmers had this crop in the bins from last year. They've stored this crop, they were looking to sell it on the market. It looks like they got a declining market going in front of them for to work with as far as so we don't have the yield, and we're working with Would like to have some good price out there on that crop.
2: Well, that's an issue that uh, I know a lot of my neighbors are getting into. Is that a lot of people try to minimize risk of downward movement by using a program called hedge to arrive. So before we even grow the crop, we sell it to an elevator for an agreed upon price. Right before we even plant it, Hmm. we we plant we tell them so Hmm. many bushels, and a lot of times you're going to do something. That's really conservative, like 30% of your normal crop, right? And you're like, yeah, we'll be okay, you know. And then you're like, so 30% of my crop I know I'm going to make money on. But then we have a year like this year, right? And the next thing you know, like you were talking about, you only have 15% of your normal crop. So then you've got a, you know, all of your crop from for this year that you're expecting to make – sold for last year's prices with nothing at a high price, right? And then you've still got half of that that you sold that you're not going to have. So now the prices came up. (laughs) So the elevator says, well, you still owe us, you know, 30,000 bushels of corn, so you're going to have to pay us so we can go out and buy those bushels of corn.
4: Mm, So that comes further on to (laughs) where we looked at what we thought was prevented planting acres. If you're a farmer out here and you forward-priced this, you need that crop. And the crop insurance comes into play on helping those farmers with that. I think that's a frustration where the farmers have that they want to get a crop in the ground. They've forward-priced it, but they can capture the preventive planting monies. What's important to note is that if I own the land and I can take my preventive planting monies, that's significant. But if I'm paying rent to a landlord, many times they are. That impacts that the farmer has less money for his part to make a living with, even though he had those acres he wanted to get on.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Scott, you're the. You might want to expand on that a bit. A bit. I mean, if so, let's say the corn crop, a, a grower, and this is rough. Uh, so a grower might get prevented planting two hundred to four hundred dollars. These round numbers, right? Kind yes. Of. And so if he's got cash rent, where does that – if he's got cash rent and equipment costs, Scott, where does that put him as far as buying groceries, <laughs> right?
4: Yeah, he's in a negative situation.
5: Boy, well, yeah, if you hard at that corner. We we, we're having a side conversation over here. So and just, if, you,
2: if, you, if you've got that crop forward contracted and you have to take preventive planting, you're also in a negative situation. Yeah. Yeah. Easily.
4: Thing, so, and so as a – from a farmer perspective, you're out here that you need to plant this crop. And what many times they fail to recognize is that the farmer, even though he's getting the preventive planting monies, we have to recognize that he has costs out there that are ongoing from hired help to facilities, equipment to interest costs, those things are out there that he needs to cover. And that's why it comes back to farmer always wants to plant a crop. He wants to have mm-hmm. something to market. And this mm-hmm. it's been tough this year with this continued rain
3: to yeah. keep optimistic yeah. as we go along. And it, I know um data shows that from from the u s Department of Agriculture, it says currently there are half a million unplanted acres across the state um, that number expected to rise it's it's about ten times uh, the the average number of unplanted corn acres about four times the average unplanted acres of soybeans and you know uh, Whitney, I think this is something that you can also speak to and and that is you know this is obviously we're talking large scale farms as well, but you know, probably the prices that, that folks are, are, are expecting to pay, um, you know, just because that supply is a little bit lower, um, you know, are, are you seeing, you know, kind of producers trying to raise their own prices a little bit at the farmer's market and that type of thing?
6: And That's always a really delicate balance at the, at the market, and uh, because people can uh, get lower prices if they go uh, into the grocery stores rather than buying the local food at, at the community market. And so you're uh a lot of times you're trying to um, keep your prices to keep your keep your customers and to keep them coming back and uh and so it's and to sell, at least be selling you know so that if you raise your prices to what you would actually allow you to be you know in many cases just breaking even uh the uh, customers Will say, well, you know, at the Kroger, I can I can get that for this, and it, it, so food is, and it, it's tough, and it, and and I do think that understanding the broader impact on on farmers and that their their prices uh, of what it costs to grow, and also the value of local food, and buying, and by local I mean within the state of Indiana. And buying that uh, local food adds to the food security of of our state, and uh, and so there's um, it's not it's not just about the individual farmer; it is about this, the health of our food system in in general.
1: Mm-hmm. And you're on many different commissions. How can people uh, help out in this situation?
6: And so I, I always think, and I always tell people to you know act locally and think globally. Uh, we're not, you know, it's not an isolated uh, issue to the Indiana, to the Midwest, to the U.S. And uh, and uh, also, and support your, su- know your farmers, support your farmers, learn uh, what you can, uh, and also a lot of what farmers are experiencing. If you think about the urban farmer, our uh, in our gardens and uh that uh think about that in terms of on a on a, a larger scale that uh you, the frustration i talk to local people about the frustrations they've had with their their tomatoes or you know whatever and so they uh you know think about that uh on a larger scale
3: and i think that's something that's you know certainly present you know just folks being less knowledgeable about where their food is coming from and and sort of the 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 story and the impacts that that it has long term i mean they can you you can read a news story and you know but but you don't really see the the face that that's behind that um so while you know someone here in here in bloomington or in other cities you know their their tomatoes might be a little bit you know mushy or something like that you know just imagine having hundreds and or thousands of acres of of corn or soybeans or crop that isn't um you know, necessarily up to par. And Matt, I, I think, you know, as you know, realize time is winding down here. But you know, just you know, we we mentioned you know, kind of the the rotting crops and that type of thing. It's it's a very distinct smell and a, and a very distinct feeling that that you get. I, I was just hoping you could maybe describe that human side of it when you when you walk out to one of your fields and you and you see the crop dying. You know, what, what's that like?
2: Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, that first and second round of planning that we have this year, I just realized every time that I got out in the machine and started going to it, I'd get a, a headache. Just a terrible headache. And I'd actually convince myself I had my hat on too tight.
3: <laughs> I, I'm not joking
2: with you. Mm-hmm. Until eventually I seen that little, that little Facebook meme that showed the different kinds of headaches. And the one was the hat band and it said stress. I said, oh, there it is. <laughs> you know, but I guess the best way to explain it is I went out and sprayed some roadsides the other day, and I did about a half a tank of that and said, you know, I just I don't feel like doing it. I went home and sit in my chair. I mean, it was just I just it takes the the motivation out of you, you know. Yep,
5: yeah, that's a uh, matchers spot on. I don't know how many you know we yeah, depending on how how big of a farm we get seventeen seventeen or fifty farmers that uh, buy from premier ag and just that uh i don't think you can you know people we're talking about preventive planning scott and we're talking about different uh government uh programs uh, people we need food security we need to we need a channel to produce the food and it needs to be you've got to take the very variabilities out i mean you can't just you can't just depend on on uh, getting a, a gallon of milk for for two dollars at the Kroger store, Whitney, Like you were talking about some of the produce, it won't. You've got to have a, a net there to to ensure that the food supply continues. And so, uh, just be empathetic with your farmer neighbors and in the and in the, in the markets and 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 understand their plight.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Scott, would you kind of like to chime in? Kind of the last word. We have two minutes left.
4: We just want to make sure we have a sell- safe and abundant food supply. And that's why it's important to support the farmers. Be patient. Mm-hmm. Hopefully in the next 10 days, crops will look different and we'll just stay optimistic.
3: Yeah, Whitney, I mean, I don't, mm-hmm. think, we should, I don't think we can expect a food shortage. I know some have worried about that. I, I think there's, there's plenty of grains still there, but, you know, the, the impacts are, are, going, are certainly widespread. Whitney, even, you know, at, at the local farmers markets, it's something that, that, that folks maybe need to be at least aware of.
6: Yeah. and I think uh, you know, ask your farmer how he's doing, or she's doing,
4: hmm.
6: and uh, and get to understand uh, how they produce and the struggles that they have. I think it helps a
3: lot. Yeah, and and Matt, I just kind of want to give you the last word here. I mean, you know, a lot of the farmers that I've spoken to, they say that network is really important of just giving folks, you know, supporting the your your local farmer. How how much does that support mean to you? About 30 seconds left.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it gives you a little motivation to keep going because I can tell you uh, morale has been low around my place, you know. So uh, just keep keep trying all the way past the 4th of July, I reckon.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for uh, being here today, especially during this time and uh, contributing to our program. That's all the time we have today for WFIU's Noon Edition. I'd also like to thank co-host Brock Turner.
6: Thanks, Joe. Appreciate Appreciate it. it. That
1: was great. Uh, Producer Benta Boutier and engineer Mike Cash. I'm Joe Wren. This has been a noon edition on WFIU.
0: Is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, Fiber Internet, Streaming TV, Home Security, and Automation in Southern Indiana. More information at Smithville.com. And from the Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports, in print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.